Welcome to uh, Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Uh, I'm Joe Works in uh, Elmira, New York. Joining me this afternoon, Jeff Smelser in Exton. How are you, Jeff? I am fine. Thank you. Good to see everybody. We weren't here last week, were we? Uh, yeah, Jeff, you and I were on, brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I posted it to Facebook. I said, Bible Quest is back. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why you titled it that, because I was like, where were we gone last week? Okay. Good to have you back with us, Jeff. I'll tell you what weren't with us last week, but we're glad you're here today. That is well, true. Well, thanks. That was a, that's a nice recovery, Chase. Thanks for... Yeah, no problem. I'll sign up for the rest of the Bible Quest. <laughs> And Chase in Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, glad to, to be glad on. on again this afternoon. Uh, as usual, Drew DeGrotto taking care of things in the background. Always appreciate uh, that technical assistance. Uh, so many reasons to uh, want to think more about heaven, the heavenly places. And so our topic this afternoon uh, will be a discussion of the heavenly places and uh, what that means from a biblical vantage point. I think usually when we talk to somebody about heaven, if we were just going to walk down the street and talk to any random person on the sidewalk, um, do you want to go to heaven? I think most people would say yes. Uh, if you ask them maybe separate and apart from that, uh, what, what is heaven? Um, uh, I think a lot of people have in their mind that that's a place that you go to after you die, if you've been good, whatever that means to the person, and uh, that, that that's what they're sort of anticipating is that it's a, a change of address in the in the future, in the afterlife. Would that that be pretty accurate? You think, guys? Yeah, I think that's what people how people tend to think of that. Yeah, and you got different TV shows, movies, all that kind of thing that tries to depict heaven and. It's just the life after this and people who did good things, that's where they get to go. And, and we certainly have some Bible texts that teach in, uh, at least generally speaking, in that vein. Um, but it would be a mistake if we took only those passages that think of life after death and made that heaven when there's a number of other, numerous other passages that describe heaven not as some place that's going to be invented later on or be inhabited later on, but as a place that's even currently inhabited, right? Yes, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I mean, yeah. with that comes a lot of questions. Like, well, what do we mean by that? Do we mean we're physically, literally in the place where God is? and his fullness and in his deity and in all of his glory? Or is there another way that maybe that word is used? Right, right. And, and, and so if you're following along with us, maybe turn in, in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We'll spend uh, some time there, although I'm happy to look at other passages, consider other aspects of this uh, topic. And anybody that's listening in, please feel free to, to chime in with comments or questions on uh, Jeff's Facebook page or on the, the Zoom app. Um, so the book of Ephesians mentions the idea of the heavenlies or heavenly places, the heavens, depending on your translation, about five times, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe, maybe we just sort of walk through those and put together a little bit of a picture of what Paul is describing to, to define the, the heavenly places and 
how we can have a fuller picture of the, those heavenly places and what they mean. Uh, the first one is found in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so the idea of being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It, now, uh, Jeff, you're our resident Greek scholar, um, uh, and, and Chase, you know English uh, more better than I do. Um, uh, and so uh, is this talking about something that's limited to in the future where we're going to receive blessings uh, if we are in Christ, or is this something that's pointing to receiving blessings in Christ in the heavenly places somehow now? Yeah, well, in, in chapter 2, where we're going to see this phrase again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us, past tense, made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if I'm in Christ, I am sitting in the heavenly places now. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think, that's not an easy concept to, to grab hold of, does is it? I think when people come at this with the, with the idea, the kind of stereotyped idea we have of heaven as a future place that we're going to go to, very geographical, then to say I'm sitting in, in the heavenly places now is difficult for people. And, and I think what we have to do is get our head around what's the point? Is the point geographical location or is the point exaltation? Yeah, and being at peace as well, I think comes with that. Um, because I mean, and also just looking at verse three where it uses that, we don't even have to go into the Greek, I wouldn't think to determine where this heavenly place is because he goes on to describe what the blessings in those heavenly places look like after that. Um, those who would be found holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. That's all things happening right here, not in a, in a place to come. Yeah, uh, he, he chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. Those first, those following verses uh, were redeemed. Uh, much of chapter one seems to be pointing to the fact that we've been brought into a relationship into his family uh, into God's family as a result of what Christ has done. So if we're in God's family, uh, then that's not very hard then to at least accept the fact that there's a spiritual realm or a, a spiritual sense uh, to uh, our situation, our fellowship with, with God. It's not just physically here. You going to say something else there, Jeff? Uh, I'll save it for a minute. I'll save it. Okay. So uh, the second place that we read about that is in uh, chapter uh, 2 and in verse 1, or no, uh, chapter 1 and verse 20, right? Um, yep. Yeah, chapter 1 and verse 20. Uh, again, speaking about Christ now, uh, God, the, the Father, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So... Go ahead. Well, so that's that's a passage that's going to give people fits a little bit. They're going to say, wait a minute, it, where Christ went when he ascended to the Father, that's the heavenly places. I'm not there, they're going to think. And yet Paul is going to say, 
we are there. In fact, that's the point he's setting up. I'm, I'm probably stealing your thunder here. You go ahead and make the point. No, no you please go ahead. No, no I, I like this. Go ahead. Well, in chapter one, he says Christ has been made to sit in the heavenly places. And then in chapter two, he's going to say, and God raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places. So Christ was raised from the dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Chapter two, verse one, Christ was raised up. We are raised up with him to be made alive. He sits in heavenly realms. We sit in heavenly realms. And if we can get our head around that, what it does, it lifts us out of this world. When we get our heads all caught up in what's going on in this world and, and my happiness rises or fall is fall, fall is rises or fall is my happiness rises or falls with the results of an election or my happiness rises or falls with the stock market or my happiness rises or falls with, the <laughs> with, with mundane things, things of this world. I, I'm not in the heavenly places, but if I am, if I am in the heavenly places, if I sit with Christ and that's where my identity is, uh, then I'm, I'm above all of this. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was a good friend of mine, Sid Latham. I don't know if he was the first one to ever say this, but he was certainly the first one I heard say this, but he said, it's a good thing for Christians to be living with their heads in the cloud or in the clouds, because yeah. that's often a phrase we use in a negative connotation. But for the Christian, that's really the, the situation. We, we do live with our heads in the clouds because we're on another realm because of what we have in Jesus and, Christ. And, and when you bring up the clouds, see that that's the idea that just like when we talk about the head in the clouds, we're not talking about somebody who's walking around, who's, you know, 5,000 feet tall and his head's up there in the clouds. We're not talking about somebody who's normal height, but his head has been dislocated from his body and it's floating up around in the clouds. We're talking about his state of mind. And so in Psalm 36 in verse five, it talks about God's loving kindness. And it says, thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. What's it, What's he saying? He, he, well, he's, he's saying how, how vast God's loving kindness is. In the next phrase, thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. The Septuagint uses the word for clouds there. Now, when it says thy faithfulness extends to the clouds, is it saying, okay, if I go up in a hot air balloon and I go into the cloud, I will see something there that will be God's faithfulness? The point is God's faithfulness is extensive. It is vast. It, it, and, and so also is loving kindness. And when we are seated in the heavenly realms, we have been lifted to an exalted state uh, far beyond the things of this world. And so it might be helpful to note, sprinkled in, and, and Jeff, you made this point here, in chapter 1 and verse 20, you have God raised him from the dead. And so you have the dead being talked about, being raised, being talked about, and the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, we were dead in chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, we were raised in the verse 6 and made to sit in the heavenly places at the end of verse 6. Exactly. He's exactly. intending to set that up, as, as mm -hmm. you mentioned there. Uh, the, the same language is used for Christ, it's used for us. What God did for his son, he's done for his adopted sons uh, at, through, through the son. He did it for his adopted sons. And also, just right in the middle of that, we see the other side of this heavenly places. We'll come to it more in, when we get to the end of Ephesians. But he talks about how he's above all principalities and powers and might and dominion in verse 21. Uh, that seems to be including more than just 
the physical realm. Uh, he's above everything. And then in the chapter two, the first four verses, uh, he talks about the prince of the power of the air, that we used to walk in submission to the prince of the power of the air. Now, who's that prince of the power of the air that caused us to be spiritual zombies? It caused us to be dead in our trespasses. So that, that's Satan, right? Right. Uh, and so that's a spiritual realm. Satan is in a spiritual realm. And so within that spiritual realm, we have good and bad, if you will. Uh, we, we have Christ, and we also have those evil forces, Satan and, and his minions. Um, and so this, this section is really speaking a lot about what's behind the curtains, you know, we see with our physical eyes, but as saints, we need to seek to be walking not just by sight, but by faith as well, seeing that what's happening is not all that's happening. What we, what we see happening is not all that's happening. There are other things that are taking place. Chase, go ahead. I just have a question, guys. Um, this has always stood out to me, but when we talk about this idea in two verse six, this idea that we're going to almost, we're, we're going to reign with Christ. We're going to be raised up seated with him in these heavenly places with Jesus. It reminds me of Mark 10, whenever James and John come and ask if they can sit on the right and the left of Jesus in his glory. And Jesus, you know, he tells them, are you able to drink the cup? I, I'm about to drink, be baptized, baptized with baptism, which I'm baptized in. They say we are able. And Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm prepared. But to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Do you all see a connection between those two statements whatsoever? Just Ephesians 2 and what Jesus said in Mark 10. I've always wondered that. No, not at all. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and just to be precise in our language, rather than speaking of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, as something that we're going to do, it, it, he has, we, we already are. He has right. made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But, but I think that's a good point, that the, the disciples were looking for some physical claim to, to fame and power or, or whatever was, was their motives, not fully revealed in the text. Um, but, but they had this kind of physical uh, attraction to, uh, you know, a sort of a physical Davidic kind of kingdom, right? And, and that's not what we're looking at here. Uh, so, so their misunderstanding, but Jesus's further explanation, I think we see being fulfilled in passages like this. Um, uh, maybe similar to that, um, uh, Romans 8 and in verse 37, uh, Yet in all these things, we will be more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, that's not exactly right. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Uh, if we are receiving the spiritual blessings in Christ, if we have been made to sit in the heavenly places with Christ, we are more than conquerors. You know, the, the fact that Paul could write that through all the things that he has suffered um, uh, and, and continues to write other things similar in his, in his epistles. Um, victory is something that is off in the future, but it is also something that's present tense. Um, uh, and, and maybe that's where it gets difficult to, to fully wrap my head around 
um, it's, it's a now and then scenario that, that we're looking at with our relationship with the Lord. And really the relationship we have with the world and specifically with Satan, with those evil forces, it's a now and then as well. Satan yeah. was ultimately defeated at the cross. Um, there's that imagery in Genesis 3.15 with the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent uh, biting on the heel of the man. And then that idea of him giving the blow to the head of the serpent. That happened at the cross, but we continue to wage war against Satan. While Jesus gave that final blow, there's still a war that happens. Um, and so not only my point is, is that true of Jesus, the now and then, but I think it's true of the devil too. You know, we got a comment. Uh, Patrick says, heavenly places does not equal heaven. And, and I think his point is, is valid. What people think when, and, and Joe, you started out kind of making this distinction. When people think of heaven is the place we're going to in the future, uh, apart from earth, um, then they think, well, we can't be there yet. And yet we are in heavenly places. So Pat says they're not the same thing. But there's a lot of misunderstanding even about just the word heaven. So just real quickly, the word heaven in the New Testament usually represents a word that can mean sky or heaven. We use the word heaven both to talk about uh, where the birds fly, uh, where our astronauts go, and also of a spiritual realm. And the fact is, most often in the Bible, uh, apart from John's writings, when we read about heaven in, in the original language, it's actually heavens in the heavens, like we would talk about in the skies. But our hope is not in the stratosphere. Our hope is in the skies in the sense that it is in a realm beyond. Um, it's interesting that there's a tendency in Matthew to use the plural for the kingdom of the heavens, which it yeah. may get translated kingdom of heaven, and to use the singular when it's talking about the atmosphere where birds are or where you know that kind of thing so if we would just think in terms very often in the bible apart from john's writings if we would read it as in the heavens uh we would probably have a little different idea as to what those passages are saying than if we read it in heaven which many of our translations are going to say um so very often even when we're talking about what we think of as heaven what the bible is talking about is just not something specifically future, but something uh, that is not of this world. And then we think about Jesus' statement. We are not of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of this world. And so as a result of that, we need to set our minds on things above, yep. not on things of this earth, Colossians 3, 2. Uh, I, once we begin trying to, to, to form our thinking more in tune with these kinds of passages, the more other passages seem more relevant, at least to me. Um, uh, they, you know, all of them begin to, to take on a different strength. Um, I think it'd be helpful to read that passage in Colossians 3, verses 1 uh, through 4, or 1 through 5. So it says, if then you were raised together with Christ. So Paul made that point also in Ephesians. We were dead in our sins. So like as Christ was raised, we were raised from the dead with him. If you were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. But remember, in Ephesians, he said, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Chapter 2, verse 6, I think it was. Verse 2. So then he says, 
set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are upon the earth. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, then shall you also with him be manifested in glory. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he begins to talk about the kinds of things that characterize the life of the individual who's just focused on the here and now. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So get your head out of the dirt and get it in the clouds, going back to your comment, Chase, because we've been raised from the dead. We've been raised from the, the consequences of our sin, which was in this worldliness, and we are now living in a realm above that. What, what, a, what a great calling that, that demands of us. Um, no surprise then to find Paul telling us in Ephesians that we need to walk worthy of that. Um, we need to understand this uh, the circumstance that Christ's blood has, has given us, and we need to walk in a manner that is uh, fitting of, uh, of, of, of being granted spiritual liberation from the, the, the domain of darkness and, uh, and brought into this kingdom of, of his son. So chapter one and chapter two of Ephesians, we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ and the heavenly places. Like Christ, we have been dead, but have been raised and are seated in, have been made to sit in the heavenly places. And then in chapter three, um, uh, just again, just another awe-inspiring message. Uh, when we think about God's eternal plan, I think a lot of times I've kind of thought of that in the sense that Jesus came to die, and uh, as news about his shed blood spread, more people would come into that kingdom, and they, they would be saved, and, and, and that's what God wanted to accomplish. And, and certainly those things are true, I believe, but there's even a, uh, a part of the spiritual realm that needs to grasp and, and needs to understand uh, God's great wisdom in the unfolding of that plan, right? In uh, chapter three, beginning in verse eight, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which has, which, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ, Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what's being announced by whom in the heavenly places? So the wisdom of God is being evidenced to those in the heavenly realms and it's being evidenced by the existence of the church, the Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles reconciled together to God in one body through the cross. There's this question. God had made a promise to Abraham, all families will be blessed in your descendants. How in the world is God going to do that? He's been dealing with the Jewish nation and, and that's his chosen people and so on. How are Gentiles going to somehow get in on this blessing and them 
And, and, and the answer is Jesus dies on the cross to create a body of people, his spiritual body, his physical body dies on the cross. And through that sacrifice, he creates a spiritual body made up of everybody, Jews and Gentiles in one entity. And they're all reconciled to God. That is what then the spiritual beings in the heavenly places look at and go, oh, so that's the wisdom of God that he's had in mind from eternity. Yeah, uh, we understand that, that they were longing to understand. The, the prophets were longing to understand. Um, yeah. uh, the, Peter says that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Second uh, Peter 1, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just looking for that. Uh, I want to say Second Peter 1, about verse so 16. First Peter, Peter 1, First Peter 1, is, 10 through 12. Concerning okay. which salvation the, the prophets sought and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you searching what time or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did point into when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them, to whom it was not revealed, to whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto you did they minister these things, which now have been announced unto you through them that preach the gospel unto you by the Holy Spirit sent forth from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. That should blow our minds. I mean, that, that should absolutely blow our minds. That, that This is something the angels were wanting to look into but it was, it was fully realized in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so when God unfolds this plan through the uh, raising up of Jesus and the raising up of us, and I like how in Ephesians 2, we won't take the time this afternoon to, to list them, but how the pronouns go back and forth. He'll talk about you all, and then he'll talk about us, and he kind of puts those things together as he goes along in chapter 2 to, to describe how as we have been adopted, chapter 1, we are made heirs. He gets finally to chapter 3, and, and he talks about the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Uh, with, with the Jews in, in chapter 3 and verse 6. And, and that unfolding of that plan, then in the heavenly places, all those spiritual beings are, are granted the, the, the privilege of, of seeing God's wisdom perfected, com completed there. To me, that's, that's really powerful that the, the church is on stage. Um, uh, we, as, as God's called out, as, as God's assembly, um, uh, we, are, we are on stage for not just the world that we think of, but, but for the spiritual realm to see this is, this is the power of God, um, the, the grace that God has manifested for us to be saved. So when I say that we're on stage, it doesn't mean that if we're good, then that, that means that God was smart, and if we're bad, then maybe God wasn't as smart. It's God's grace uh, allowing all of us to be heirs of, of the kingdom, uh, to be a part of his family, uh, his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, the things that are talked about in well, Ephesians 2, 4, and 4 through 6. Any amazing thing is they, talking about the glory not being on us, even though we're the ones in the spotlight almost, or most certainly. Anytime you look at something that's been designed and impressed by it, you're not praising the thing necessarily. You're praising the designer. You're praising the one that put it together. And so his work and what he's done might be on showcase to reflect back on him and show how great and awesome the designer is. And right. so in effect, that's what's happening um, with the church. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, I think at least in part, that's a lot of the message where he says back in chapter two that we are his workmanship. 
we're his creation. We're his, you know, that, that word workmanship, if I'm not mistaken, it's the idea of we are his doing, you know, we, we, we are what he has done. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're, we're his creation, spiritually speaking. Um, and so we are on that display. But again, that's not of our works, lest any man should boast. That's, that's what, that's what God's grace has done. That's, that's his gift, right? Yeah. And so just think about just practically how silly and dumb it looks whenever we do try to make it about ourselves. Um, it just looks ridiculous. Right. Yes. Uh, gave the illustration uh, not too long ago about how uh, imagine a man who has was in a small boat out in the ocean, the boat capsizes, he's, he's going to, to drown a, uh, cruiser comes by, a, a rescue boat comes by, the captain throws out a life preserver with a, a rope tied to it, the man grabs hold of the rope, uh, the captain then pulls the rope in, and uh, the man reaches the side of the boat, the captain reaches down, extends his hand, and the man grabs hold of the captain's hand, pulls him up into the boat, and the guy stands up in the boat, and he says, I've saved myself! <laughs> Uh, if I were the captain, I'd, I'd push him back in the water. <laughs> Do it again. Uh, no, we've not saved ourselves. What that does, that points to, to the greatness of that Savior. Um, and anybody would, would fall down and, and give tremendous thanks to the individual that had spared their life. And, and, and that's the way that we need to be in, the, in, in our lives and in, in our actions. But even not just for the physical world, but for the spiritual world to see that. There, there's a much greater audience uh, that Ephesians uh, reveals for us, right? Anything else up through that, that third, uh, uh, third chapter, verse 10, the, the, which is the, the fourth example, right? right. 1, 3, yeah. 1, 20, 2, 6, and 3, 10. Just on that very point, I mean, we've already mentioned there's five of these examples, but we've already gotten through four of them just in the first three chapters. And I, th I think that point is, is well made just by looking at 4.1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. If you've, if you've been called out, if you've been told you're in the heavenlies now, that is going to change your entire way of living, your entire way of thinking. Everything about you is going to change from your family, from the way you function in the church, everything. Um, and so there's just a, it's almost like someone should write an entire book about this idea of walking worthily. Um, but if only. And, yeah. and, but that's, that's, and you, you, you've captured Paul's point. He, in the first three chapters is giving these Gentiles, these Gentile believers to whom he's writing a concept of what God has done for them, how exalted they are in Christ. And then he begins chapter four, therefore walk worthily. And he talks about what that means in practical terms. Since you're sitting in the heavenly realms with Christ, then here's how you ought to live. Yeah. And I think that's just a great point. Um, very, very <laughs> well made. That? Will you please quit that? <laughs> for those so, who are watching, for those who are watching, don't know what's going on. Chase is doing his best to plug a book that I wrote, <laughs> and he's he's pointing to it with his finger, alluding to the title and all these things, and so we're having this really good discussion about heavenly places, <laughs> and Chase is trying to help me out with sales of a book. <laughs> 
You'd almost think he's getting commission. Um, go to ntgreek.net and uh, you should be able to find out. Please quit that. Let's let's go. Here's the next the next one, Joe. The next occurrence of the phrase heavenly places um, is the one that's going to really give people problems. And and why is that? Looking over at chapter six, right? Yeah. Uh, verse 12, uh, we, we see this uh, concept brought up again. Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, you know, if we break that down enough, it doesn't seem like it should give us much problem. We know that all those things are in the heaven or, you know, in the spiritual realm what, what is it that gives us problems? I, I agree with you that it does. Uh, what, what, what's the Because people think of heavenly places and they think of a place where there are no tears, a place where in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the, well, let me turn over and read it. Revelation 21 and verse, is it verse nine? Um, verse eight. For the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So they're not going to be in heaven. So how in the world can we have these forces of darkness in the heavenly places? That's kind of the way people think. Right, right. Um, I, I think that is the, the difficulty. But, you know, sometimes we ask the wrong questions, right? Um, uh, maybe instead of asking, well, well, how is this possible? God says that that is what's happening. What are we going to do about it? You know, if, if we're given this uh, revelation in chapter 6 and verse 12, um, we need to walk with a much greater awareness of, of where their struggles really are lying and that they are not uh, flesh and blood issues, even though they are maybe manifested in flesh and blood situations, right? Um, sometimes we, we, we see the conflicts by somebody tempting somebody else, somebody hurting somebody else, somebody else causing suffering. Uh, and we see the conflicts usually played out in a physical realm, but there's something that's happening behind that. That's right. That's and right. so um, maybe put, let me put, go put, ahead. put it this way. There's a spiritual reality behind the physical things that we see, whether it's a, an argument we get into, whether it's a physical sickness, whether it's a conflict, whatever conflict there is in a physical way on this earth, there's a spiritual reality behind all of that. Just as in Revelation, the 12th chapter, when you see the picture of uh, Jesus, the child being born of the woman, and there was one waiting to devour him. And we think of Herod killing all the babies at Jesus' birth and other attempts upon Jesus' life or his, his reign. In heaven, there's a war picture that corresponds to that between Michael and his angels, Michael the archangel and his angels on the one hand and Satan and his angels. And, and so, so this to your point, there is a spiritual reality, good versus evil going on beyond the things that we see in this earth. And so there are spiritual forces in the heavenly places. You know, I, I don't know that we'd have time. Maybe, maybe we can come back to this section some other time. But Daniel 10 and verse 13, um, uh, when you have uh, the angel has appeared to, uh, to Daniel, 
um, uh, and uh, is seeking to encourage him. He says in uh, Daniel 10 and verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Boy, I'm not sure everything that's happening there, but you read about a physical nation and kings and angels, yeah, fighting and, and, and both working, maybe some working together and some working in opposition. And, you know, there are things happening behind the scenes. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the very least, that ought to cause us to, to think about, well, when things are happening, I, I, I'm not just going to deal with what's on the surface then. Uh, I need to try to think about what's causing that and, and how can I help that individual that's going through something and so forth. It, it's not just about the, the flesh and blood and the physical incident that's taking place. There's, there's spiritual forces uh, at work there. And, and that we, we don't want to sound mystical about that. But we do want to speak in spiritual and biblical terms. And, and that, and go ahead, Chase. Now I've got a thought. No, finish, go ahead and finish yours. No, we'll probably I, I haven't focus. started it yet. Well, I was going to say, and I mean, and it's not to say that with these battles going on, there is nothing required of us, which is kind of the whole point of, of the, what happens after verse 12. Take up yeah. the full armor of God. Here's all the practical. He's basically saying, suit it up you're part of this fight too. I mean, yeah. this isn't just something going on up there uh, or in these heavenlies. You're a part of this now and you need to suit up. And God says, I'm giving you the tools you need. You, you got it right here. Just put this stuff on. So somebody listening to this might say, well, wait a minute, if there's going to be all this evil and these evil forces and influences in heavenly realms, well, why would I want to go there? That's no better than where I am now on earth. In this earthly life, there's good and there's evil. So what's the difference? But if we think of the heavenly realms as the exalted realms, and there are, and it's a spiritual realm beyond what we, what, what we think of when we think of the things of the world, uh, we can participate in that. We can be in those realms now. Um, but there are beings of those spiritual realms who are, wishing to be exalted, but are going to be demoted. Uh, I, I go back to Isaiah, the 14th chapter, the passage where the King James Version uses Lucifer, but it's really talking about the King of Babylon. And it talks about how the King of Babylon was brought down. And after talking about how he was brought down, it kind of reviews back to what he had thought of himself. Um, and as it's talking about what he had thought of himself in verse 12, it says, how you have fallen from heaven. Uh, o star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened, you who have weakened the nations. You went around defeating other nations. You'd exalted yourself to heaven. Now you've been brought down. But you said in your heart, here's what you were thinking. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to shield. So here's this concept of somebody who is exalting himself to the heavens, and yet he is brought down. And so also these spiritual entities, forces of evil, which I really think they are in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, where it talks about the, these entities in the heavenly places, 
they are entities that are going to be brought down. And, and we see a picture of that, I believe, in Revelation, the 20th chapter, and, and really in Revelation, the 19th chapter, to some extent. So it's not a matter of, well, why would it be one in the heavenly places if there's evil forces there? If I think of the heavenly realms as the exalted state, there are evil forces that want to exalt themselves, but they are going to fail. And like the king of Babylon, they're going to be demoted. They're going to be brought down. And it's God's people who will persist eternally with God in this state of exaltation in the heavenly places. But we can't lose sight of the fact that we are there with him now, so we need to live that way now. Yeah, very good. Um, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Let me uh, maybe try to illustrate that a little bit with a uh, one passage uh, from the Psalms and then uh, a, an example in uh, the Old Testament. In, uh, 30 seconds at the end to make a correction. I, I made a misstatement earlier. I need to correct, but go ahead. Just one. Just one? Okay. Um, uh, in uh, Psalm 34. <laughs> Give me a second. I get it. Just... <laughs> Psalm, 30, Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all of those who fear him and delivers them. Now, the psalmist, David, is he's not saying that God's going to spare us from any physical harm or any physical suffering. David is going through a lot of that um, uh, during this time frame that he writes Psalm 34. But David is not going to be afraid of any forces because David has called upon God for help. And David believes that whatever happens, God is going to deliver him. Much like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Daniel's three friends, our God can deliver you, our God can deliver us, but whether he does or not, let it be known this, O King Nebuchadnezzar will not bow down. Um, you know, whether we are physically delivered or not is not the point. God will deliver us ultimately. But in 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, I think we have a good illustration of this idea, the angel of the Lord encamping around and delivering those who fear him. Uh, it's rather a humorous scene in uh, 2 Kings 6. The, the king of Syria is plotting against the, the nation of Israel. And every time the king of Syria assembles his army to go and attack Israel, God reveals that to Elisha. Elisha tells the king of Israel, and the king of Israel moves his forces around. And so the, the, the king of Syria, he, he sends his forces over to campground to A, but the Israelites aren't there any longer. They were, but they're not. And, and then he plots again, and he sends them to campground B, and the Israelites, have, they, they've moved just ahead of them. And finally, the king of Syria, he's like, okay, one of you, my counselors, one of you guys are betraying me. You're telling them ahead. And they said, no, it's Elisha. What, whatever you whisper in your bedroom, uh, uh, Elisha is announcing to the, the king of Israel. He knows. And the, one of the most foolish things you can read about in Scripture. So, okay, Elisha knows everything that you're getting ready to do, king of Syria. Okay, so, so here's my plan as the king of Syria. Let's go capture Elisha. Uh, it, it's, it's so excited. He's not thinking very <laughs> It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is Keystone Cops uh, live, right? You know, as, as you, it, uh, that's that's something, yeah, I know, Chase, you wouldn't understand that illustration. Um, uh, and so okay, uh, he, he sends his forces down, and lo and behold, he, he traps Elisha. He's, he's you know, it, it looks like Elisha has been uh, captured. 
Elisha's servant gets up in the morning and he walks out of the house and he just screams like a little girl. Oh, you know, what's going on? The the Syrian army has surrounded the city has uh, where, where Elisha and his servant are living. Elisha comes out and he prays for, uh, well, first he makes this statement uh, in verse 16. Do not fear. Remember that Psalm 34, not, that, the, not to fear him. Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays that the Lord would open the eyes of the servant. And he sees not just the Syrian army surrounding the city, but as I'm reading this, and maybe I don't have a full comprehension or, or a correct picture of this, but we see that the Syrian army is surrounded by the army of God, the, the horses and chariots. But not only that, it says that the, the Syrian army is surrounding the city in verse 15, but in verse 17, uh, the mountains are full of the horses and uh, uh, the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so whether they are surrounding the house and the mountain, it, it almost looks like the Syrian army is trapped uh, between God is both protecting Elisha and has surrounded the Syrian army with these horses and chariots of fire. Um, you know, man, how, how much more confidently, how much more boldly could, should we walk, not in ourselves, but in our service to God, if we recognize the spiritual forces that God has at his disposal and wants to use on our behalf? And so that's why, thinking back to Ephesians, we, we have those two of the major themes in the book. One is heavenly places. We see it mentioned four times in the first three chapters and then once in the sixth chapter. And then the other theme is, or one of the other themes is that of walking. We find it mentioned once in the first three chapters and then what, five or six times, five, five more times in chapters four through six. Uh, and so the emphasis on the heavenly places in the first three chapters, and then how are we going to live? How are we going to conduct ourselves uh, as a result of seeing we've been brought into God's family. We've been raised up to walk with him. We're on display for the world, manifesting God's wisdom and grace. We need to walk worthy of that. Uh, what, what a great message we find in the book of Ephesians. Yep. Excellent. Well, I'll just squeeze in this quick little correction. Uh, earlier, I mentioned John as uh, a New Testament writer who tends to use the singular heaven Luke does also very often. Matthew tends to use the plural for the spiritual realms, although it's not consistent. There are a couple of passages where he uses, where you can illustrate he uses heaven and heavens interchangeably. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Well, it, it, I think sometimes it's nice to be able to see that those words can be used interchangeably. They help us to think of that exaltation, that lifted up, the, the image that you gave earlier, uh, the clouds and so forth. We're out of time and even a little bit beyond. Thank you all very much for participating. For those of you that have been listening and, and comments that have been made, uh, those are encouraging and, and helpful for, for me, for, for us. Uh, thank you very much. We we'll look forward to being with you again next Wednesday, Lord willing.